This podcast is a proud member of the CypherCast Network. Discover more at cyphercast.net and follow us on Twitter at cyphercast.net. Welcome to Incantations, an Invisible Sun podcast. I'm Scott. And I'm Dave. And we will be your guides along the path of suns. Today we sing one spell. With revelations of the Black Cube, we discuss the official rules of the Invisible Sun RPG, now that we have something to talk about. Join us on the path of suns, and we may uncover a secret or two. With Revelations of the Black Cube, we discuss the official rules of the Invisible Sun RPG. And this is the first time we've been able to cast this spell because the Invisible Sun rules primer has been released. We think it's about time to start talking about how this game is going to work according to the actual rules. Uh, The primer itself has a lot of uh, components and covers a lot of ground, some of which will be familiar to people who've been following along with us in the previous 34 episodes, uh, as well as following along on the updates in the Kickstarter discusses the various gameplay modes like action, narrative, and development mode. Uh, We've discussed some of this before, uh, but I'm sure we'll be discussing each of these in more detail uh, as we move forward. Uh, There's some more information about the Sooth deck uh, and uh, good illustrations of what those cards look like and how they will play. Uh, The primer includes little tidbits even about uh, mechanics in the game, such as what are here called GM shifts, which are Basically, from those who've played uh, in the Cypher system, GM intrusions. They are uh, ways that the GM can directly affect the flow of the narrative in the game uh, in, and uh, incorporate that into the mechanics, just like GM intrusions are incorporated in the Cypher system. But most of the rules primer, and we think the part that'll be most interesting and new to people interested in the game, are its discussion of how actions are resolved and what we will call the challenge system in uh, the Invisible Sun Sun RPG. So let's talk about challenges. Uh, When would you use challenges? Uh, You'd be using challenges whenever you've got hmm, a situation where the outcome, whether success or failure, is not certain, but also an important part that, you know, is something that's, kind of hard to remember, at least for me, because it's, you know, uh, something I think I keep working on as I GM is a situation where failure or success are both interesting outcomes. I think that's a great point and something that has become a point of emphasis in a lot of recent RPGs, that if the outcome isn't interesting for either success or failure, then don't bother rolling. Mm-hmm. because you might find yourself in a, in a narrative corner where you're just like, well, that happened, and now I have nowhere to go. So you, you ideally want to use uh, dice rolling when there's some, you want there to be a, a probabilistic outcome. So you don't want to know for certain what the outcome will be. However, you want the various options of outcomes to be interesting. So um, 
uh, this there, there's there's a lot of different ways this is played in different systems, uh, but I think it is going to be very important in the Invisible Sun RPG that you you don't have to use the challenge system every time the players try to walk ten feet or a close distance or any of those sorts of, of mechanical elements. You don't want to roll for everything, but when it is would be interesting. Uh, you want to invoke the challenge system because it, it does have some steps to it. So it mm -hmm. interrupts the flow of the narrative and you want to make sure that's worth it. Yeah. We're going to get into what those steps are when we start talking about what these challenges are, aren't we? Absolutely. So the, the basic element of a challenge system is a, er, er, for this challenge system is a challenge rating or a challenge number. And it represents how difficult a specific action is. I'll just say those numbers range from one to 17. Yeah, 17 being an important number in Invisible Sun, it's the uh, what, the final number of the the dark side of the Path of Suns. It's also the number of known suns, the dark sides, plus the uh, the Invisible Sun. So 17 is familiar for anybody who's uh, keeping up with Invisible Sun. Right, and ideally with a challenge, you're going to assign it one one difficulty, whatever that level may be, and that will eventually be after some work, uh, lead to the, the, the target of what you're rolling against. It's a lot like a challenge rating in uh, the Cypher system again. Uh, there, though, it's usually uh, challenge uh, 0 to 10, where 0 is automatic. This can actually go from 1 to 17, uh, because, again, 0 would be automatic. Uh, but there's a larger range, because in this surreal world of the Invisible Sun, crazy, crazy, impossible things can happen. And those are often represented by challenges above 10. Right. So the, the challenge ranges that we have, it's uh, 1 through 10 would be your normal challenge range. So it starts at simple, goes to complex at 10. Uh, the other thing to note about this is that even, uh, even a challenge that's set at 10 is going to require some additional training or tools or expertise on the part of the character that's trying to accomplish it. Uh, because the dice that we're going to be rolling in here are D10s. Um, and usually a zero is a 10 uh, on a D10. But for Invisible Sun, the zero is going to be a zero. So you're rolling zero to nine on those things. Oh, so it's not actually possible to roll a 10 Correct. on a single die. Yeah, not possible to roll a 10. <laughs> so 10 would be pretty challenging. Um, considering you can't actually get it on the die without any assistance. And we'll get into how you get additional bonuses when you're rolling for a challenge. Um, but 1 to 10 is a normal range. Uh, 11 to 13, it's described as being challenges that require extensive training, talent, uh, extra extraordinary tools, or circumstances. And then 14 to 17 would be possible only with the use of magic, um, but it's still possible for um, powerful magical beings and gods. It, it turns out the PCs are powerful magic beings. Sure. Uh, so <laughs> they will have access to actions that may push themselves into that 14 to 17 range uh, at some point in their magical careers, though it'll be quite a, probably beyond the capabilities of starting characters. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's uh, interesting coming from the Cypher system, which I just ran a bunch of, and it's it's hard to gauge. I found it a little bit difficult to gauge what difficulties should be once the players are, um, I guess, around tier four and above, 
because at that point they can accomplish nearly anything. So it'll be interesting to see how that translates over here because this this range is similar to the Cypher system, though it is uh, split out a little bit more and allows for a bit more of a ceiling that you can reach for. As you might guess, uh, I take a lot of liberties with the system, as I've mentioned, and uh, so I don't take challenge ratings uh, all that seriously. <laughs> I, I more or less guess the range, somewhere in the range I think it should be and go with it and not think twice about whether uh, something should be a four or a five or maybe a six. Uh, probably either subconsciously or even sometimes consciously, I just think backwards at the probabilities. Okay. Say, well, you know, how likely should it be for someone to, to, to uh, accomplish this? Uh, if you know, if I want to make sure that there's a pretty safe chance they'll succeed, then I set it a little bit lower. If I'm trying to make it seem more daunting, I will make it a little higher. Uh, that's not rules as written. Uh, but I think it is worth emphasizing that the, the challenge rules are a little vague as to what constitutes a five versus a six. Yeah. And uh, so don't sweat too much, whether you're getting the challenge ratings right. Uh, getting you know something you want to be an eight and making it a four would be a bit of a problem. But if it's a four versus a five or you know, one or two points off, it's not going to matter that much. Uh, what matters most is that you just keep on moving and keep on playing and keep the story going. Yeah, and uh, that advice is in the rules primer, which is, hey, don't worry about the number. Just get it close and continue continue playing. Yeah. Uh, so one of the what what are the wrinkles for Invisible Sun that is not the case in the Cipher system is that some actions may require multiple successes. Mm -hmm. uh, so we have target number, but it turns out we may need to get that target number more than once in order to succeed at a particular action. And in particular, when magic is involved uh, in Invisible Sun, magic is often likely to be involved. <laughs> right. And I think um, the last design diary uh, addressed something that was related to this. Indeed. There uh, is an example of how there can be changes, even subtle ones during the playtest process. Mm -hmm. So we'll, we'll get back to the design diary in a moment, but the, the basics of the uh, system for multiple successes would be that if you are getting an enhancement or you're using some of your abilities that add enhancements, uh, which would be adding dice to your attempt, you would actually roll multiple dice. Um, your mundane action would always be that one die that you start with, but magic can add multiple dice. Uh, uh, starting characters almost always would be limited to one extra die, but eventually you might be able to add two, three, four extra dice to your roll. If you're trying to accomplish mundane tasks, it usually only requires one success, but if you're trying to, to accomplish something that is itself magical, you may need multiple successes, which implies you would need a success on your mundane aspect of the task as well as the other dice that you're adding. Uh, one thing I want to just dig into here is, um, is it assumed that if you have multiple dice, you're going to need multiple successes in order to uh, succeed at the challenge? I could not get that out of the text. I'm not positive. Um, cause I think that was the, what the, the last design diary was addressing. Mm -hmm. Uh, I would have to go and look it up again and reread it. But when I was reading through the primer, uh, this was one of the things that I just wanted to double check on because I didn't think that having multiple dice meant you had to have the same number of successes. And, uh, there was a section in here that talks about, uh, requiring multiple successes 
And it generally seemed to have to do with trying to deal with something that was magical. Mm -hmm. Um, So if you take a look at page 15, that's the one that I'm looking at now. Um, So when magical effects are involved, then, you know, things start to get weird. Um, And some of the examples they have for requiring multiple successes would be breaking down a magically barred door, picking a magically enhanced lock, uh, reading through an encrypted book, intimidating a magically resilient NPC, uh, things like that. So it seems like uh, my understanding, because um, it was kind of a weighted question, because I my understanding of this is that if magic is involved in the thing that you are trying to overcome, then you probably are going to need multiple successes. But if you're just using magic to enhance your ability to do something mundane, then it's not necessary to have multiple successes to achieve your goal. That seems reasonable to me and consistent with what we do know from the rules primer. Mm-hmm. Uh, for instance, uh, after the list, uh, they just, they uh, discuss how uh, breaking a, like a breaking a ceramic vase that was made by magic is no harder than breaking a, va- a vase that uh, was made by mundane means. Right. So like the act of magic created the vase and uh, you're, you're done um, and the magic's done. So breaking it is just like breaking anything else. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's not what you're doing is not, is itself not inherently magical. Even if the, the, the object you're acting on was at one point magical. Yeah. Um, but if that vase was still in uh, enhanced with magic, if it was reinforced magically, then you might say, well, you're going to need uh, two successes to get through this. Right. And I think breaking down a magical barred door is a good example mm-hmm. of this because you could almost imagine there being two layers of protection. Uh, if it's a wooden door, you've got a, a you, wood you have to break through and also the magical uh, encasement that you're breaking through. So you'd need a, a success for each of those. Uh, and if you were to, you know, if, if you, depending on how you set out the spell, how I would kind of play it would be uh, until you break through the magical encasement, you don't, you can't even damage the wood. Mm-hmm. Sure. That's, so, yeah, that makes sense. Uh, that might not be the case with other spells. It might be the case that the magic is at the core and the mundane is the outside. So the magical uh, uh, vase might be something like uh, the magic's in the, in the in the middle. So you can break and crack the outside with mundane means, uh, but there's some magical core to it that cannot be broken uh, with except through magic. So it, you might have to play it the sequence in different ways, uh, depending upon what the story is is implying. But I think you are right that with if you are using magic to accomplish a mundane task, you don't necessarily need to succeed on every die you roll, in mm-hmm. which case magic is just making your success at mundane tasks much more likely. Right. And I, I like that sort of idea. Like, hey, I'm trying to do this thing. I'm using magic and I'm more likely to do it. Um, though you do run the risk of, uh, you know, incurring a magical flux by rolling a zero on that magic die. So that's yeah. always fun. Yeah, that's the risk you gain by adding your extra dice, your extra magic dice uh, to mundane tasks, is if you roll a zero on your magic die, uh, you incur a magical flux, which is not exactly the same thing as an intrusion on zero of a d20 in the cipher system. There's a few more guidelines as to what it, what, what, it, what would happen, but there's still a lot of freedom to the GM to decide what goes wrong. And how can we? How can you make this encounter more interesting? Because magic has just gone haywire uh, due to its uh, misuse uh, in a particular instance. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, and I don't know if there's really a whole lot about magical fluxes in the rules primer, so I don't know if we should dig into them yet. Oh, okay. <laughs> I mean, they're mentioned. I'm pretty sure they're mentioned. Um, I don't. Yeah, I didn't anticipate going any farther than that. Yep. I will. I I don't mind going so far as saying there is more detail to come. Yeah, there, there's yeah. A, there's some interesting stuff about magical fluxes that it, that'll be showing up eventually. Yeah, and we'll we'll be sure to talk about them. Yep. But right now, they're described in the rules primer as basically things going wrong if you roll a zero on your magic die. Yeah. Now, this uh, there isn't an equivalent to rolling zero on your mundane die. Right. Uh, and that's an important part of the design diary. I, I said we you know, we'd get back to uh, w- the language in the playtest, as described in the design diary, uh, was clarified maybe through the length of the playtest. Mm-hmm. Some of the language seemed to suggest that if you rolled a zero on your mundane die, you fail. Period. End of story. <laughs> um, that I was a nec- that rolling non-zero value on your mundane die was a necessary condition to even considering the rest of the dice. I recall that wording, yes. Yeah, and uh, the design diary suggests that was not the intent, or at least they reconsidered that intent and are now, uh, they uh, have changed the language to reflect the fact that a single zero on the mundane die or otherwise doesn't negate all of the other dice. Yeah, and a zero on a magic die doesn't negate them either. Right. So a zero on a, on a magic die would lead to a flux, but it wouldn't lead necessarily to a failure unless it results in you having too few successes to succeed. Correct. So uh, imagine this case using their example of breaking down a, ma- a magically barred door. Um, if you, if you through some series of secrets and other, uh, somehow you ended up with three dice, one's going to be mundane and two will be magical. You say, well, you need two successes. Uh, and, you could, I think you can kind of, depending upon the narrative of the game, play this different ways. You might say any two will do. So it could be that you uh, get a zero on your mundane die, but your magical force is so powerful it blows the door open anyway. Mm-hmm. Uh, that might not be how you want to play it. You might want to say you need one mundane and one magical success, but you get two tries of the magical <laughs> because you have three dice. Uh, it kind of depends on how you want to imagine this, that the spell works. As originally in, written, it was always the case with multiple dice that a zero on the mundane meant to fail. But uh, the design diaries, are that, you know, again, they don't really want to be that definitive. They would rather leave it up to the situation a bit to decide, is it the case that this is a spell or a magical creation such that even if the mundane aspect of pushing on the door failed to compromise the door... If the magic succeeded and the, the magical force beat the difficulty level, that may be enough to push the door open. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so they're not, they, they've decided to clarify that zero on mundane die does not imply always failing. It just implies that that die is, does not count as a success. Right. Uh, and I do like having that, that flexibility there. Mm-hmm. So how do we go about actually dealing with a challenge. So let's say, um, let's take one of these examples and say, instead of a magically enhanced door, we're just trying to break down a door. Uh, we've set our difficulty. Let's say it was five. So what's left for the player to do? Do they just roll or is there more to it before they do that? In a process that will sound very familiar to cypher system players, they will build 
a series of advantages that will help them overcome the challenge. In this case, there's new language for it. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, and they, it is referred to as building your venture, which is adding up all of the modifiers and all of the advantages you bring to the, the challenge you are facing. Yeah, and this is the part of the conversation in the game that the players get to do. So the the GM starts that conversation, and then the players look through all their stuff, and then they kind of have a little negotiation with the GM and figure out what bonuses will apply. And uh, we have a whole list of all the things that are in there. Right. This is more. There, there are more options here than there are in the cipher system. In the cipher system, not to go into much detail, there's three categories you can have. You could reduce difficulty by with skills. Uh, assets uh, or effort. Mm-hmm. Here we have more options. Your venture is built out of a series of of, of com- possibilities. Skills uh, again. Uh, you can also spend bennies, which are kind of like the equivalent of effort from the cipher system. These are points from pools that your character has that you can spend to add to your venture. Uh, important note there: you can only spend one bene from a pool unless you have something. Ooh, a secret called expansive endeavor. Yes. Yeah. Um, so yeah, you start out only being able to add one to a venture this way, uh, but you will eventually be have options to buy character uh, abilities that will allow you to spend more bennies at, on a single dip, uh, uh, challenge. Yeah. Um, expansive endeavor is name dropped in the primer, but there is nothing further about it in there. So that if I've broken rules, uh, you are not in, in trouble for that because that is actually in the rules primer. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so we've got skills and, and binets that you can spend. Um, uh, we also can have tools. Yeah. And before we get into the tools, can we go back to skills real quick? Oh, sure. Um, so a big difference between uh, Invisible Sun's skills and the Cypher System's skills, it is seems like you are going to be able to have multiple levels in a given skill in Invisible Sun. Um, With the Cypher system, you had basically you were trained or you were specialized. And here it says, hey, players can add the levels of a character's appropriate skill to the venture. So that implies that you might be able to have a fairly significant bonus from a skill rather than just plus one or plus two. Yes, though we can't say much more about that just yet. No, we can't. <laughs> More is coming, um, but uh, there, there there are chain there are significant differences between how skills are handled in the Invisible Sun RPG and the Cipher system. And I will just uh, whet your appetite that way and remind you that uh, the game will be out in the you know, out in the wild, like maybe next month. Yeah. So uh, we'll have a lot more to talk about soon. Mm-hmm. So tools. Yes. So again, we had skills, binets, and tools. Uh, you know, a tool is any sort of object that you use to accomplish your goal. This could be anything from your uh, your your climbing kit to your sword, whatever it is. If you're trying to if you're trying to hit something, uh, like it, in combat, your weapon is a tool. Mm-hmm. If you are trying to climb a mountain, your climbing gear is a tool. If you're trying to, you know, it could be even if you're trying to translate a book, uh, the Rosetta Stone is a tool. It's whatever objects you can bring to bear to make the difficult uh, or make the the challenge less difficult. Yeah, and it's noted that uh, tools are generally like simple tools are generally level one. 
Um, and it does say that weapons are included in this, in this sort of thing, which I think is pretty neat because a magical sword um, is more than just a simple tool, and it probably gives you a plus two uh, if you're trying to stab a demon, let's say. Or possibly even more. Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, it, and it also suggests something interesting about equivalences in Invisible Sun. Uh, this challenge system is intended to cover all types of challenges. So it follows the design philosophy of Cypher System, where the basic resolution process is the same, whether you're trying to punch a monster or trying to negotiate with that monster or trying to sneak past that monster. Right. That it's always about setting a challenge, build in this case, building your venture, uh, and then rolling. Uh, and w- tools could be used in each particular case, whether it's, you know, your boxing gloves would help. I don't know how that would help you necessarily, but anyway, magical boxing gloves that mm-hmm. helped you punch the monster um, or a, a, an advantage, you a, a tool you have, like a bribe might be a tool that you could use to advantage yourself in a social interaction with a monster uh, or a magical cloak that, you know, of invisibility that helped you sneak past a monster. Those would all be tools uh, and they all operate the same way in building your venture. So does, it, this, the system does not require special rules for weapons versus books versus cloaks versus bribes. They're all tools. And they operate within a unified mechanical system. Yeah, and that feels very familiar. Um, It's very similar to what we did in the Cypher system. Yeah, yeah, there this would be part of assets. Mm -hmm. And the second part of assets, (laughs) which is broken out here for clarity, is uh, circumstances. So in addition to skills, benes, and tools, circumstances may aid your venture. And these would be... uh, kind of environmental conditions that may make your actions easier uh, than they would otherwise be. So, you know, high ground in combat, or um, if you are popular in a city because you are famous for having uh, killed the Minotaur, then maybe you have a a circumstantial advantage in uh, trying to impress people at the tavern or, you know, something along those lines. But this is definitely a point where, you have to sort of negotiate with a GM as to how the circumstances would affect your venture. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, it also suggests that circumstances will generally be plus one. Uh, extremely favorable, extremely favorable conditions will give you plus two. Uh, so they're not huge changes. Right. And so there's kind of a cap yep. on, on how much uh, circumstances can affect your particular, uh, the outcome. Uh, they aren't going to probably drive the outcome very much, though a 10 or tw- to 20% difference uh, is a pretty big difference. Yeah, I guess it is. You know, it is significant once you get plus two. Much like tools, uh, spells, of course, can be can add to your venture. They can make your tasks more uh, easy, or they may uh, make, they may be the core task that you're trying to accomplish. So the rules call out that the ventures can include the magical effect itself uh, as part of the component to build up this venture. And I'm sure there'll be various ways that this can happen within the rules. Um, uh, and and that, yes, in, it, you can think of this then as classifying magic as as a tool, um, though it's listed separately, so it may not be capped, and likely is not capped, in the same way that tools or circumstances uh, are capped in their level of effect. If we're hoping to hit challenge rating 17, my guess is we're going to need more than two levels of magical effect, magical effect to do that. Um, the last component of the venture is uh, the most novel, um, 
uh, and it's something we've mentioned before, hidden knowledge. Mm -hmm. Uh, This is actually a character statistic. This is on your character sheet. You have points in it, uh, but it is a a fascinating narrative component of the game. Uh, Players can sacrifice one point of hidden knowledge uh, to add one to a venture of an action. And that's a simple mechanical uh, component that is very similar to a binet, but without the same limits as a binet. Uh, But it does have some different wording. Yes. Specifically Uh, sacrifice. Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> Sacrifice is, I'm sure, a word chosen carefully in this particular game. Uh, and I, th- the most important difference in play, uh, hopefully, is that players need to explain how, what, what knowledge they have that can help them with a, partic- with a particular venture or to overcome a particular challenge. So unlike a binet, where you could just say, Oh, I'm spending some of my physicality because I am strong. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's okay. That's all you got to do. You, you, you've now added one to your venture. With hidden knowledge, you're supposed to do more. So again, if we're trying to knock over this magically barred door, you can spend a physicality as, as part of a bene to build up that venture. On the other hand, hidden knowledge, you could also spend, but you need to explain, how is it you know something that makes knocking over this magically barred door easier? And that leaves the player to come up with something like, oh, well, it turns out the magical casing around this wood is based upon an ancient uh, incantation from this particular school of uh, evoking magic. And I happen to know that because of the sigil they use to uh, encase this wood, that it creates these three weak points at the intersections of the the sigils. Uh, And so if I were to direct my force at these places, so you have to kind of make up a story Mm -hmm. as to how you know something that isn't common knowledge, but helps you accomplish your goal. That sounds fascinating to me. (laughs) I've really enjoyed that part of the game, though we haven't done a lot of it in our playtest. Yeah, it'll be it'll be nice to have uh, you know stuff in the rules that encourage the players to you know take the narrative by the horns and add their own stuff to it. Yeah, and this is a, a topic we, we've discussed before. We'll talk about many many times. This is a game as a whole. The system encourages players to have authorial uh, uh, authority. That is, they need to have the authority to just declare things exist, like oh the. Uh, that you know that that foundational incantation that uh, it has this particular sigil with these three points of overlap. Chances are that didn't exist in the world before the players said it. But players have to have the authority to declare those things as part of hidden knowledge. Mm-hmm. But in doing so, you have multiple people then contributing to your world, and it makes the world richer. Uh, and it accelerates the world building involved in the game because it's not just a GM building a world and the players playing in it now. Hidden knowledge and some of the other mechanics allow players to declare parts of the world so they become contributors to the world building exercise. And uh, I think that's been that's been one of my favorite parts of the playtest. Not specifically hidden knowledge, but that uh, ethos through various mechanics. Yeah, that'll be in- an interesting thing to start tackling. Um, do we want to talk about successes or are we good here? And we'll come back to successes, failures, and all sorts of other things in another segment. Well, we, I think we can briefly introduce 
something I, that isn't necessarily coming out of the rules primer as much. Well, uh, why don't you let's talk about it briefly? Okay. <laughs> let's just say that. Yeah. So go ahead. Um. So yeah, you can either succeed or fail. But that's not very much fun. <laughs> um. Well, okay. I mean, success is a thing. Failure is a thing. Uh, I'm just trying to think of what else there is to discuss here. I mean, we've got um, catastrophic failures. Like, what? A, uh, I don't know what we want to talk about here. Well, I think it goes back to something we, we kind of started with. Uh, there are uh, rules in the rules primer for partial successes. Mm -hmm. And so there may be ways for you to get... Uh, to not succeed fully, but to get part of the way there. And they specifically call out how this might work in terms of interaction or knowledge search of tests. Uh, so there's, it's not just successors or, or failure. There are some gradations in between. Yeah. The partial success here is it, it really just seems like it's up to the GM to decide what's going to happen. I mean, partial success is just, I think that's just reiterating, you know, what we had said earlier, which is, hey, if failure isn't interesting, then you sh like if success or failure for this challenge isn't interesting, then you probably shouldn't do it. And partial <laughs> success just feels like this was a failure. But the interesting outcome is that, hey, you were trying to talk your way past this person and they don't like you didn't convince them to let you go by. But now now they're really interested in what you are talking to them about. Like they find you to be a fascinating person and they want to continue this conversation. Right. So it's a way to turn, it's a way to relabel failure uh, so that you can still move the, the plot forward, mm -hmm. but you don't do so in as convenient a way as had been hoped for by the players uh, starting the challenge. Yeah. So that's still a, there, there is still a failure state. Um, so basically the most straightforward thing on a roll is, Hey, you didn't break through this door. You failed at it. Uh, the thing that makes that failure interesting is the circumstance that the characters are now caught up in. Perhaps they were trying to break through the door in order to avoid the patrolling guards that were coming through. And now those guards run into them or maybe, there was uh, some sort of silent alarm that gets triggered when they get through that door. So even if they fail, you have something that happens that, you know, it continues the story along, but it introduces complications that wouldn't have happened otherwise. Right. So what we want to avoid are situations in sort of old school D&D, uh, &D, like 80s style, where the, the party gets to a door and they know it's locked. And so they have to, the, uh, the rogue comes up to pick the lock and fails. And everyone looks around the table like, well. Well, do it again. Yeah, uh, we can either try it again or we can just quit, I guess. Mm -hmm. <laughs> because there, there's nothing else that happens when that failure happens. Yeah. With a notion of partial success, you can say, oh, well, either you, you, uh, you know, with, with unlocking the door, which is in some sense a hard case because it's so simple. Um, well, you succeed, but your lock picks have you broke off uh, in the door. Or you succeed, but you're leaning on the door to, to, you know, to force the, the lock, and it, it unlocks, but you, you tumble through the door. Uh, and fall, which it turns out is bad for whatever reason that might be. So it, it, it opens up 
the option for the GM to not just say that a failed challenge is just nothing happens, but instead a fail, depending on the degree and what, and where you are in the story, uh, a failure might just mean a partial success with a complication, or as they put it in the rules primer success, but, um, and this is not to say that the, there, there is no success or failure as an outcome, because you can still say, Hey, no, it just didn't work. Uh, and perhaps the failure in an instance of a challenge is interesting in and of itself. Uh, so just saying yes or no to the outcome of a challenge is totally okay. Um, they've just detailed some additional options, you know, in order to keep things moving along and, you know, help the GM, the player, you know, move the story. Right. And, and again, to empower the GM uh, and to some extent, the players to know that, you know, if you find yourself at that door, <laughs> there are options other than yes or no. Right. Uh, and, and feel free to use them and not feel like you're abusing the, the game by saying, well, I know you failed, but I want this thing to happen anyway. Or here's a you know, here's an interesting story we can tell from your uh, from your failure. But it's a failure that it's a fail It's failing forward uh, in the popular language in RPGs now rather than simply failing and falling backwards. Mm -hmm. And so it, it encodes that in the rules, uh, which is convenient. Yeah, they there there is also a section about catastrophic failure and remarkable success, which mm -hmm. it's there there isn't uh, like we said there's no penalty for rolling a zero uh, unless you are rolling a magic die in which case you've got a flux, um, and conversely there is no major effect anymore. So rolling a nine doesn't do anything for you, um, but you can still as the GM introduce you know hey this this failure here went so badly uh you you weren't anticipating this um and things are going to go totally out of whack um and in those instances where you really want to throw a curveball at the players um you're going to be giving them uh experience points in the in the uh, form of despair or joy depending on if you want it to be a, a good curveball or a bad one Right. So in some ways, it, it answers one of the uh, concerns people had with the cipher system, where some interpreted GM intrusions as bad things happening to the players. Mm -hmm. uh, others interpreted as changes in the conditions of an encounter, which could be good, could be bad, but more than likely are just sort of craziness. Um, this actually says, look, it can be good or it can be bad. You could actually intervene with a GM shift uh, and move things in a positive direction, in which case you award a joy. Or you can use a GM shift to move things in a negative direction and award a despair. So it, it, it validates using those shifts for both positive and negative changes in, in challenges and encounters for players. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how we uh, use that. Well, this is we just touched the surface uh, of the game. This is just the primer. Uh, it is the very, very basic mechanics of the game. Um, we have some more we can talk about with combat and damage and things like that, possibly in a, in a later uh, uh, episode. But we wanted to get out pretty early talking about the rules primer and in particular this fundamental mechanic of Invisible Sun uh, about challenge ratings and building a venture. Is there anything more you want to kind of add to the conversation about challenges and ventures and rolling dice and all those things that make RPGs RPGs? 
Uh, not at this point. Uh, I, I would like to come back and talk about, uh, you know, the damage system. It's it's an interesting take on it. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, I think that will require its own segment. Yeah, definitely. Um, it's a little bit more complicated than just uh, pulling resources out of a pool like we did in the Cypher system. And I think it's an interesting change. I want to wrap my head around it and, you know, really think about it a little bit. Well, um, I know that I am excited. We're, see- we're starting to see the first official rules. Uh, the full cube is on the horizon, uh, and we should be seeing more of it very soon. Uh, and as we get, we'll be able to start these conversations about the official rules and be less dodgy than we have been. Ooh, and then we'll eventually be able to talk about the setting. <laughs> eventually. It may take us a while just to read to that point. True, but we'll be able to at least say some things. So, uh you know, I hope you, everyone reads the rules primer and enjoys it as much uh, as we have. Uh, and we look forward to talking about more there and even more rules on the horizon. This ends our walk. Maybe you discovered something today. Maybe you need to look closer. The music was titled Beyond from Wes Otis and Plate Mail Games. It is available from DriveThruRPG. Invisible Sun is currently available for pre-order at InvisibleSunRPG.com. For a limited time, you'll receive an additional Sooth deck when you pre-order the game. You can find our blog at IncantationsPodcast.blogspot.com or email us at IncantationsPodcast at gmail.com. You can find me at Agonseer, A-G-O-N-S-E-E-R, on Twitter. And you can find me at Tex underscore Red on Twitter. Do us a favor. Leave us a rating uh, and a review on iTunes. Uh, it really helps people find out about our show. Another great way is to just uh, tell a friend. Uh, tell a friend about incantations. Tell them about Invisible Sun. And that would really help us out a lot.